You may call him crazy. We just call him sick. Yes, we did, Mom. We have one trailer. to preacher. What up? What's up? Hi, Bo. How you doing? So yeah, we uh, we got a delivery today of strawberry lasagna, right? Everybody clap if you ate strawberry lasagna today. You guys hear that? Do you all hear that in the house? This is the in the house segment. Oh, hot dog. Pasta with it. Hot dog. <laughs> we have one tray left for this show. So after Dave speaks, I'm going to let everybody go get another tray. You get a cup and you're going to fill me one. And we're all going to eat the last tray of, of strawberry lasagna from Eric France. Y'all, if you've never had strawberry lasagna and you probably have never had hot dogs, decadent dessert, you need to go on there. He didn't sponsor him. We paid double. We paid, We overpaid for him. You, you had mentioned that, Joe, that you thought they were expensive. But uh, <laughs> he's kidding with him. Everybody got to go look, look up hot dogs, decadent desserts, okay? And uh, it, was, it was so, so, so good. Uh, you guys have – you got some shots of the guys here. Everybody's in the room today. This is the in-house podcast little segment yeah you probably can't see too well but that's on purpose because most of them didn't shower for the last day or two and uh i want to say hi to caleb deb growley mom michelle hi chad what's up uh who else is on here melba hi melba it, clint is on here jj what's up baby let's see who else we got who else we got jackie taylor hi we almost lost the light right there Mandy Carlson, hello, hello, hello. We're gonna we're gonna get into it with your your lovely fiance or husband. I don't know which it is, man, but he, he's an awesome dude. Uh, Eric France, what's up? Decadent desserts. Tony, hello. Crystal, hello, 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 everybody. Daniel George, hello. We miss you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're we're ready to go. We're ready to go here. <clears throat> so tonight, we really got extra bright there on me, didn't it? You're really showing all my blemishes right now. So tonight we have. Um, Gosh, I need, to st I need to tell a little bit of a backstory right here. Um, so this program has been in transition for about a year and a half now. Is that, is that right, Jeff? Is that about a year and a half? About that we started the transition from Sick Recovery to, uh, to it was Sick Recovery Works. I was in the middle of this transition knowing that we wanted to teach, a guy, teach the guys a trade. We wanted to not just be at the motocross track, but give these guys a skill that they can learn to take with them. We needed to go from a six-month program to a long-term program. We knew we needed longer. We knew we wanted to help guys that were in jail, in prison, on the streets. We knew we didn't needed to make a free program, no cost, uh, and we knew all that. So we we converted to Joe. Get over here. Come over here behind me and and show everybody the Sick Recovery Work shirt. Get over here. You got to come over here so everybody can see it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to you here. Joe, did you just break something? Can, can you? Right there. Okay, that, that sick recovery works. That started about a year and a half ago-ish. I don't know. I'm, I'm never good with time. Okay, see you, Joe. Thanks for modeling. And we, we knew we needed to do all this stuff, but I was making some big mistakes. Um, you know, we were paying guys, and we were having problems, and you know, money was, was an issue. And I stumbled on this uh, TED Talk, right? I stumbled on a TED Talk, and uh, it led me to a place called the Other Side Academy with David DeRocher, okay? Dave um, is a guy that, that started the Other Side Academy, okay? And it was literally everything that I was trying to do in this program, 
and he's already done it. He already had everything right. Uh, he's, he's just has this amazing program out there. It's been, in, been there for five years, I think. But like it was everything that I was striving to be that Jeff, we, we sat and we talked about it and we, I stumbled upon it. It was a total God thing. And I watched this Ted talk about this program that was helping dudes for free, no money out of pocket, teaching them things. They were going to gone to work. Everything was real life because, you know, we can't live in a bubble our whole life. So, um, it was just, it was awesome. So I, I literally reached out to this guy and he just, Dave has been a mentor of mine since we converted, we started soul constructors, you know, that's, that's how we've gotten to this point. And, you know, I've, I've implemented things little by little. Um, I haven't taken big chunks off, you know, Jeff and I just talked today about, we need to take another bite into how the other side Academy does it with some things. And we need to get better with following their lead because I don't need to recreate the wheel. Like I have somebody in Dave that I can lean on to help me through exactly what our, our dream is and what our goal is for helping dudes, uh, change, just trans, just, totally become somebody that they, I don't know if they necessarily believe that they could be. And he does it on a large scale. They have like 80 to a hundred guys there. It's awesome. It's an awesome program. So let's start to get Dave in on here. I'm just going to jump right into him. <clears throat> and then afterwards, we're all going to talk together. Uh, all the guys are going to chat about what they hear from Dave. And um, he's just an amazing story. So let's, uh, let's, we're going to get Dave keyed up here and hopefully everybody can see him. Dave DeRocher. Hi, Kevin. What's Glad up, buddy? Here. How are you? Love you, man. Love what you're doing. No, dude, I, I, there's no way that I could do it without you, and we know that for sure. Everybody in this room knows that for sure. I want to let everybody know on, on Facebook, as well as in this room, Dave went and got his hair done right before <laughs> this whole thing, and I thought that was really, really cool. And I, I thank you for getting your hair done and looking so damn good. Well, that's only because you told me I wasn't welcome on the show until I did, so I had to run out and do it. Yeah, he's got the best haircut in town, man. I'm telling you. So, Dave, I gave everybody an intro of how I stumbled, literally, literally led to you, and how excited I was the first time to talk to you because you're doing everything that I, you're doing it all right. Uh, you, you on a on a way bigger scale. You've become a mentor of mine that that I lean on when I think I'm doing something that that needs some help. Um, just just talk a little bit about can you tell us your story man can you tell a little bit about the pain you know this is a pain to purpose podcast tell me a little bit about the pain and lead you to to the other side academy please kevin how much time do i have uh, you, I've have, got you have 45 minutes to tell so you know my story is not like unlike yours or anybody else's i i started when i was 12 years old coming home from school stealing alcohol from my dad's alcohol bottle replacing it with water that didn't last long got caught that conversation didn't go well. And I still don't know I'm going to have to ask my dad, but I don't know if he was mad at me because I was drinking at 12 or stealing his liquor. I, I'm afraid <laughs> to ask him, so I might not like the answer. <laughs> you know, and anyway, not long after that, I was smoking pot. And at 14 years old, I did my first line of cocaine. And as a teenager in the 80s doing cocaine, I, I was stealing everything you could possibly imagine to support my habit. Freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, I'm breaking into homes, into cars, manipulating neighbors and family members, stealing from my high school friends, whatever I could do to support my habit. Somehow I managed to get through high school. Not long after high school, I, I trade my addiction for cocaine to methamphetamine. When I found meth, I thought I found God. Uh, you know, it's cheaper, it lasts longer. I was, you know, up for days and, you know, I was Superman, I was invincible. And I think we all know if you've used 
what that's like. Mm-hmm. And that went on for a couple of years. And then, you know, I, I, my, my, my hustle changed and I just started buying some meth to sell a little to support my habit. And one thing led to another. And I realized that I had an entrepreneurial uh, a component to me in my DNA. And I started making money selling drugs, but that didn't last long. And I started getting arrested. Did my first prison term. My first prison term was two years. I got out. I was out for 59 days. Then I did a five-year prison term. Got out. I was out for 60 days. Did a six-year prison term. Got out for four months. Did a 10-year prison term. So it was a two-year term, a five-year term, a six-year term, and a 10-year term. And not long after that 10-year term, I was out for four months, and I had promised myself that I would never stop again if I got red-lighted, if the cops were looking for me. And Went to a house in Huntington Beach, was looking out the window, and there was a helicopter hovering really high in the sky. I think you probably saw it on the TED Talk. And one thing led to another. A couple hours go by, I leave, and the cops were everywhere. And I wasn't going to stop, and I took them on a chase that damn near ended my life. Uh, I would have had it coming had they they killed me. And I went through a roadblock and hunkered down, hoping they would just shoot and kill me because I didn't want to go back to prison for the rest of my life. You know, catch me if you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I made a turn, they did the pit maneuver, spun me out, shoved me up on an embankment and commenced to beat the, the, uh, the uh, can I say that word? You can say uh, what you want, buddy. Yeah, commenced to kicking the shit out of me. And the last thing I heard was, stop, stop, you're going to kill him. Yeah. Woke up in jail, in the infirmary, stayed there for a few days. Once I went to court for the first time, I was looking at 29 years. So two-year term, five-year term, six-year term, 10-year term. Now I'm looking at going back to prison for the rest of my life. So through very many months of going to court, uh, some of these ancillary charges had dropped off and it had come down to 22, and that was it. Judge Pacheco said, I'm not coming off of 22. You can sign your deal. You can go to trial. No matter how you look at it, Mr. DeRocher, you're getting 22 years. So I fought my case for a real long time in the county jail, just hoping to get it down to something manageable. I just figured if I just kept drawing, you know, dragging it out, keep going to court, postponing, trying to find some loophole, maybe I could get it down to something manageable like 15. And I'm thankful today that that never happened because had it, I wouldn't be sitting here. You know, God knows where I'd be today. And uh, one day I went to court. The judge said, Mr. Drosher, I'm, we're not playing. You're getting 22 years. It's just we're, we're, we're done doing this. You either sign your deal or we're going to start a trial date and you're going to get all 22 years. And I don't know if you've heard of Delancey Street. I'm sure you have because you and I have talked. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. I wrote them a letter and they interviewed me and they accepted me. And I took that to court to Judge Pacheco, and he said, no way, this isn't going to work. You're not Delancey Street material. So I go back to my cell, and I'm dejected, and I'm like, my God, what am I going to do? You know, I'm tired. I'm scared. I've just lived the last two decades in and out of prison. Now I'm going to go back, and I'm going to die in there. And uh, I decided to write the judge a letter. It was four pages long, front and back, and never once, Kevin, did I tell him he was wrong in his assessment of me because he wasn't. He had me pegged. That's exactly who I was. But I said, Your Honor, Delancey Street is designed for guys like me. If you give me the chance to go there, you can suspend my max exposure 22 years. If I get kicked out or if I split, you can lock me up for the rest of my life. And a month and a half later, I went to court. I was sitting in the cage in ankle irons, waist irons, and you know, shackled. And, and he said, Mr. DeRocher, against my better judgment, I'm going to give you the chance of a lifetime and I'm going to send you to Delancey Street, but you're pleading guilty today to 22 years. When you get kicked out or when you split, I've got you for the rest of your life. And I said, holy shit. I don't know if you've ever felt vertigo when you get really bad news, you kind of feel dizzy or good news. That's how it felt sitting in that cage. I was about ready to get out of jail to go to Delancey Street. So I got out, I went to Delancey Street and it's two years long and it's one of the hardest programs in the country. 
didn't just stay the two years, stayed eight and a half years. The last five years that I was there, I managed the Los Angeles facility, 200 to 250 uh, students at any given time, 15 vocational training schools that generated all of the revenue and graduated in 2014, went out, got a great job. And then through a very serendipitous chain of events, uh, Joseph Grenny and Tim Stay. Joseph Grenny is our founder. He wrote four New York Times bestselling books, Crucial Accountability, Crucial Conversations, The Influencer, just to name a few. He said, would you be willing to come to Utah and help us start a replication of Delancey Street? And that was five years ago, uh, over five years ago when we met. And then in 2015, in September of 2015. Give me a favor. Explain Delancey Street to everybody for me. Like that, Most of the people that are watching this don't know what Delancey Street is. And it's so, such a powerful place. To explain to everybody what Delancey Street is. The Delancey Street is widely known as the gold standard in therapeutic communities. There's five of them in the country. San Francisco is the parent facility as the headquarters. Then Los Angeles is the second largest. Then New Mexico, New York, North Carolina. Delancey Street's been around since 1971. So they've got 49 years under their belt and they've graduated over 25,000 former drug addicts and former convicts back into the community successfully. Hands down the number one therapeutic community in the world. There's a few others like Trosa in North Carolina, San Patriano in Italy, uh, Habilitat in Hawaii, that are real therapeutic communities that are minimum two years long and don't take any money from the government. There's only a few of us left. Right. Generate all of their own revenue through their social enterprises. Yeah. So that's what Delancey Street was. It's a place for knuckleheads and repeat offenders and guys like me to go and reinvent themselves. Didn't it's, she? It was a woman that started it, right? She and well, she she gave people a shot out of prison in the seventies, you know. Yeah. Well, John Mahar actually started it. John Mahar right. had the idea. He was a former drug addict and alcoholic, and he had gotten out and got a two. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. I don't know. Turn that back on. He got a loan from a loan shark. That's how he started Delancey Street. And then he was hearing about a lady named Mimi Silbert in the prison system who was a uh, therapist therapizing guys who were in prison. And yeah. he solicited her to come on board to help him set up some protocols at Delancey Street. And then not long after that, he ended up dying of a heart attack. And here's this little four foot 11 woman named Mimi Silbert, who's a firecracker of a woman. And she took it from there and turned it into what it is today. So John Mahar had the idea. He started it. He was a spinoff from Synanon. And then Mimi Silbert took it from there. Yeah. Keep going, man. I just wanted you to explain that to the people. Like it's it's such an amazing. There's like there's a movie out there about it. Sure like, is. Yeah. There's an old school movie about it. But yeah. go ahead, man. So, after uh, leaving Delancey Street, I got a really good job in Southern California uh, for Burkitt Construction, underground pipeline construction, heavy equipment. Got my Class A license. Then I went up to the oil fields up in the Bakken. And it, if anyone's familiar with the Bakken, you know, six years ago we were making stupid money. Here's a guy that had been out of the workforce since the eighties for a couple of decades. And I'm up there making 15 grand a month as a hot oiler. And I'm literally having an affair with my checkbook, just putting all this money in my bank account. But there was a hole in my heart. I missed Delancey street. I missed guys like us. I missed getting people out of jail and out of prison and through the process and getting them from where I won, where once was to where I had gotten. And I came back to Southern California, and that's when I got the opportunity to meet Joseph and Tim, and they asked if I'd come out here and help them start uh, the Other Side Academy. We hadn't even named it yet. Joseph just said, I want to replicate Delancey Street, but we want to make it better. Because Delancey Street, by and large, has been very archaic. There's not a lot of innovation. It is what it is. It's not going to change. They're not going to open up any more facilities. They haven't in over 25 years. 
So we brought the model here, and then I brought some other Delancey Street graduates with me, Lola uh, Zagi, who's now running my Denver facility, Steve Strong, Chris and Sharon, all people that were in Delancey Street with me, I reached out to them, told them what we were going to do, and they said, when do we leave? Wow. All of them were in different places in the country, and we came here to Salt Lake City and got it started. So how many years did you do in Delancey Street that you would have faced in jail? I did eight and a half years in Delancey Street. Uh, and, and Kevin, I would still be in prison today on that 22-year prison sentence. That was 15 years ago. If it wasn't for Delancey Street, I'd still be in prison today. And that's the wonderful thing about a therapeutic community. You don't have to leave it two years. I was nowhere near ready at two years. Mm -hmm. I was just beginning to understand who I once was. I hadn't even started practicing who I am today. That was the next six years. So the fact that I could stay there for a long time and reinvent myself and learn to live new again is what, where, where the magic happens. So, so let's, let's stay there a second because that's, that's something that obviously a lot of people talk about in a program. Uh, most people, when they call me, you know, you know how the phone rings when you have a program that's free and at, there's yep. no money out of pocket. Your phone rings and uh, the guys love to hear about that. We go ride motorcycles. We have a lake and we have fun. And then I get to, okay, you're going to work. Your program? But yeah, you're gonna, that's what they say. And then I say, okay, you're going to work every day. You're going to get up every day and be at the table at 515. You're going to work all day. And there's, there's no cigarettes. And there's no contact with anybody for a year. And, and like yesterday, I had a guy, when I said there's no nicotine, he was like, whoa, like, I can't do that. And I can't do that. And I'm like, you don't have a job, dude. Like, how are you affording to buy cigarettes? Like, right. uh, so, but that, but the part is everybody seems to get caught up in time, but yet they've been, they've been screwing up their life for a minimum of 10 years, right? but they get really caught up in the time piece. And I want you to talk about that. You and I have had this discussion. You know, I went from a, our sick recovery went from a six month program to a two year program. And, and the transition for the guys that was here, you know, there were some guys that left. They're like, we're, we're not doing that. You know, we're not, we're not putting that time in. And so talk a little bit about the time piece because there's a lot of parents on this show and it, and it gets hard for people to understand what, true change takes when you've lived like we've lived and practices. Now, now I understand you've done way more time than probably anybody in here, but let's be clear. I've done the same crimes that you've done. I've yep. done all the same things to deserve to be where, where you were. Everybody in this room, I guarantee deserves to do for what we've done, the crimes 15 to 20 years. So it's all the same behaviors that get us there. You know what I'm saying? So Talk about the time piece for me, man. Like just, just lay and be, and be you like you are with me on the phone. Like, and I know I don't have to tell you that, but like, you're, you're like it's such a great guy for me to mentor. It, it's, it's what you see is what you get. And it's, and it's in an aggressive style. So like, tell it like you tell it, man. Yeah. Kevin, let's, let's just be completely honest. Uh, most of your recovery programs, your, 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 your 30, 60, 90 day models are built around a funding model, not a helping model. Let's say you go to a 30-day program and, you, and your parents pay 20 grand for it. It's $20,000 down the drain. On day 30, you have to leave. It doesn't matter whether you're ready or not. A 60-day program, a 90-day program, or let's talk about the other side academy or Delancey Street, minimum two years. Kevin, nobody's ready on day 30, day 60, day 90, or day 730. Nobody's ready on a particular day because that day came. These models are just put in place because that's what insurance companies and Medicaid is willing to pay for. 
It's absolutely ridiculous. Our average student here has been to about six of those programs already. It's just drug addicts are the neediest, most impatient creatures on the face of the planet. They want the easy way every effing time. And <laughs> mom and daddy keep footing the bill. Yeah. Nobody People don't have to do this. They get to do this. Right. If you're 30 or 40 years old and you've been a drug addict and a criminal running the streets for 20 years, you ain't changing shit in 30 days. Yeah. You might get clean and sober. Who gives a shit? Everybody who's a drug addict for any lengthy period of time has been clean and sober 100 times from Sunday. Two weeks clean, two months clean, maybe a year clean, two weeks clean, four days clean, you know, six months clean. You, you continually get clean and then use again, clean and then use again, clean and then use again. At the other side academy, we don't even talk about drugs. Drugs aren't the problem. Amen. The behaviors are the problem. This mere fact that a drug addict at 30 years old could be leaning on mommy and daddy to pay for their effing recovery tells you what an animal they are. Mm -hmm. None of us should ever lean on our mom and dad to pay for our recovery. It's not our mommy and daddy's fault. It's ours. You know what I mean? I, but I love it. I love it. And do you understand why, guys? Like, these guys are all sitting in here. Sounds like you. When Dave and I got on the phone, right, we spoke for like four. I remember the call. I remember I was in the driveway. And we start rapping, and he goes on his tyrant. I go on mine. We texted, like, the same time. I'm like, I think I met my brother that I never, ever even knew I had one. Like, he taught. <laughs> Joe's like, it's scary. Like, and like, we have the same energy and it's just really, it's, it comes from, I really believed when I, when I spoke to him, I'm like, I, I feel like your passion is because you know what it takes from being there, but you want people to get it so badly. You want to give them the absolute opportunity that you were being given, but it's nothing beyond an opportunity. And when you, when you stop looking at it like that, that's when you're going to go be a victim and fail. That's it. Let and, me, let me ask you a question. Everybody in the room right there, those are all students in your, at your at sick yes, recovery, sir. right? Yes, sir. How many of you have ever stole something? <laughs> Everybody's hands up. Everybody. How many of you have ever told a lie? Everybody's hands up. Who's hurt somebody emotionally or physically? Everybody's hands up. Who's manipulated somebody? Everybody's hands up. Every one of us are fucking liars and cheaters and thieves and manipulators and self-centered, self-seeking son of a bitches that don't care about anybody including ourselves what do drugs have to do with the problem nothing nothing and if and if the drugs oh, were the answer if the drugs were the answer why why when you get clean for 30 days do you go back that's where that's my point so let's take drugs out of the equation let's say this population who steal from people lie to people manipulate people and hurt people take drugs out of the equation what remains <laughs> the behaviors if you can't go someplace and stay in the mode of healthy living for a long time in a healthy community until you learn to live in a healthy community, you're going to continue to use. You don't solve drugs. You don't solve the problem of addiction by solving for drugs. You solve for behavior. When you take a liar and a cheat and a thief and a manipulator and a violent person and, they, and you give them the opportunity to learn to tell the truth impeccably, to learn to be accountable no matter what, and the sum of those two things is integrity. Once you have integrity, Kevin, nothing else matters. Right. And if you don't, nothing else matters. Amen. But it takes time. That's we need to live in a community that is going to hold us accountable until we learn to hold ourselves accountable. It's that simple. So we have guys here, Dave, that are in their second year. And um, a lot of them, a lot of these guys are... Uh, 
talk on camera about like the second year is a lot harder. Did you see that? Like the guys that are in the second year, they, they start to actually get to the real work. And this is when most of the time I quit and went back, you know, and gave up because I was really in that second year searching for easy searching yeah. for, man, I got to lighten this up. I've been, I've been really trying. And now I just want to kind I want to kind of coast and I want easy. Yeah. Do you notice a trend in that second year of how much harder it is? Well, what happens is because about 80% of our students who come here are probated through the courts. You can walk through our front door, take a seat on the bench. We will interview you. If we accept you, you start that day. 80% of our students will write us a letter from the county jail pre-sentence, a lot like the letter I wrote Delancey Street. We'll interview you if we accept you, then the judge can send you here in lieu of a very lengthy prison sentence. So in the second year, what happens to the drug addict is, I'm in my second year, I'm getting closer and closer to when I can parole, rather than when I can graduate. I'm gonna be able to leave, I can go out there, I can go get laid, I can get my cell phone, I can get a job, I'll have some money, I can go get all the shiny objects. That's the last thing we need. So yeah, the second year is harder because you start taking your eye off the goal and you start looking at all the shiny objects when you're nowhere near ready yet. Right. So the second year can be a much harder. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and we see that, we see that because that's when, the, when everything's really, you know, consistency, dude, talk about, talk about consistency and, and, and talk about what you guys do out there as, as, as your social enterprises, but consistency, dude, we are, we just lack it so much from jumping around and practicing the, the behaviors that we did to get high and, 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 and find easy and find the people to manipulate and use. So we didn't have to be consistent, right? Right. But, but talk about consistency and, and, and in your businesses that, that you guys so, use. So at the Other Side Academy, as you stated, we don't take any money from the government at all. Nothing from the city, the county, the state, the federal government, Medicaid, insurance. Mommy and daddy can't even come in the door with their son or daughter, set them on the bench and go, here's a $200,000 check. We won't let them finish writing it. We don't want your money. You can't buy your way in here. You have to endure a very robust interview, right? A very robust interview. And then once you become a student here, the minute you start as a student, you become part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Nobody is paying for your recovery. You're doing the work yourself and you're paying it forward. Our social enterprises, for example, our moving company, we have 10 moving company trucks. We do 300 moves a month. Last year, our moving company did $2.2 million. Our moving company did $2.2 million. That's incredible. Amazing. Our thrift boutiques, our thrift boutiques did 1.1. We were getting a lot of furniture donated on the moving company and I was putting them in containers and we were just storing it, a, a couch, a bedroom set, a dining room table. Pretty soon we were doing yard sales in our parking lot and making a couple thousand dollars on a weekend and thought, what the hell, what are we doing? We need to open a thrift boutique. <laughs> Nicest thrift boutique in the entire state, number one rated thrift boutique. But let's go back to the moving company. My average student's been arrested 25 times. We are the number one rated moving company in the entire state. If you get a chance, look up the other side movers. You'll see hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews. Kevin, these are the same guys that used to carry it out your window. Now they wrap it up, take it through your next <laughs> address. Yes, sir. We blow the competition away. We've moved governors. We've moved to Washington, D.C. People into the White House. We move everybody. <laughs> you understand? That. But the students, the students run the moving company. The students run the thrift boutiques, just like your social enterprises. Definitely. They take ownership in it. They start just being regular movers. Then they become crew bosses in training. Then they become drivers. Then they become crew bosses. Then they become supervisors. Welcome to life. All we are here, all we are at TOSA is a micro community getting you ready for the macro community. 
Amen. We get up just like anybody else that's listening. We get up in the morning. We put our clothes on. We brush our teeth. We have breakfast. We get the kids ready. We go to, we go to work. We come home. We take care of our responsibilities, right? Go to bed. Get up and do it again the next day. But what we do different than the, than the regular community and society is work is the Petri dish. That's when all those behaviors come out. The selfish, the lazy, the bad attitude, all that shit that got us in trouble to begin with will manifest itself in your day-to-day routine. Yes. Tuesday nights and Friday nights, I don't know what you guys do, but Tuesday nights and Friday nights, we have what we call games, mm-hmm. which are the equivalent of a, you know, some people call them encounter groups. 20 people sitting in a group in this room, 20 people in this room, 20 people in this room, calling each other on their behaviors and very colorful vernacular. But when you get called on your behavior from a counselor who's trying to sugarcoat it, oh, Kevin, 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 Kevin. Now, you know, you're not supposed to do that. That's not good for you. Don't do that. That's exactly what I do. I'm going to laugh. But one of one of your peers says, listen, you selfish son of a bitch. I saw the way you were staring at that girl. And why are you so lazy on the movie company? Everybody else, you know, when, when one of your peers is telling you about yourself, it resonates differently. That's it. So when, go ahead. Keep going. No, no. And when 19 other people in there validate the indictment, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You start to think, wow, that really is me. I'm going to change that. It is, it is, it, it's called love. And if you love somebody and you care about them, you tell them the truth. I love it. Truth is love. We don't sugarcoat a damn thing. And if you don't have, it's amazing. I get guys who have done 20 years in prison, totally sleep down, go to a game, and they want to cry like a bitch afterwards because they got called on their behavior. You've got the wherewithal and the the balls to go out and commit crimes. You can do that, but you can't sit in a game and hear about yourself. What an infant. Well, we, well, we used to, we used to push it. Like we used to push everybody out of our life that told us the truth, right? We worked the crowd. We made sure we didn't find, we found out who would believe our crap and we right. surrounded ourselves with the people that believed the story. You know, that yeah. story we all have to get what we want, how we want, when we want, we yeah. only hung out with those people and we're yeah. so good. We learn who will listen to it, how long. So we just push the honesty out of the way. I tell a lot of people that the truth becomes the enemy here. Guys that walk out this door, you know, and, and there's been guys recently walk out the door. It's because they, they, the, the truth becomes like hateful to them. They can't stand hearing the truth. And I get guys, oh, well, I don't really want to hear it that way or my style of telling it. Like, well, dude, that's because you don't like the, like, it's not the style in which I do it. I know I'm aggressive and I'm loud and, and, and you may not like it. But the real problem is, is the truth. The whole problem with all of it is the truth. So there's, there's another piece that I want you to talk about is, is that everybody's listening here. Um, it's, it's, it's this uh, family piece, man. Like I had to, I had to really, I, I leaned on you when, when I called you and said, look, I called, I called Dave and I'm going to be, I'm going to be very, very tra- transparent here. I'm like, look, dude, I'm feeling like family is a bigger problem than I'm able to deal with, with helping a guy get, change his life get to the point where he's he's able to start changing because as soon as family's involved they're like grasping and wanting to to have this and have that and i'd see this and then they take these downturns when family would be here or they'd be on the phone and they'd be wanting to leave and it's just as well can you get me this and send me this and i called you and i'm here you were like dude we don't allow any family involved and i'm like what you're like you're like no no that's exactly exa- you said that's exactly why family is not part of this and it was something you had to, you had to like, you almost like put you like, you're like, dude, do it. You like, you want what's best for these guys. I'm telling you for years now, we've been watching what's best for these guys to change is taking a break from that so that they can be 
a good a, a, a productive part of a family and providers and be able to love somebody else and not manipulate and use and make people a tool right because yes. because our families were just tools for us yes so so we need to teach them all that before we can get them to the point to have a healthy relationship talk about that dude so I'm going to talk about a couple things. I'm going to talk about kids as part of the family and then the families. 99% of the time, the family is the problem. Oftentimes, our population got high with mom or dad. It started at home. Families are the last ones that can help us. But let me just give you, let's, let's, take a, let, let's, let's get back to your group over there. How many of those guys have kids? Uh, one, two, three, three. Okay. Do they love their kids? Ask them the question. You guys love your kids? Joe, yell in there. Yeah, of course. Okay, everybody else does too, right? Mm -hmm. So when we do an interview, usually we're doing an interview of somebody who's in jail. They've been to jail countless times. I'll ask them, do you have kids? They'll say yes. How many? Three. Do you love them? Oh yeah, you love your kids. Yes, you've been to jail 25 times. You're on your way to prison for your third term. You've chosen women and dope over your kids. How in the hell would you treat them if you hated them? <laughs> Matter of fact, you're in jail now. Somebody else is raising them. Make me understand the definition of love to you. I love my kids are simple words to say, but who's raising them right now while you're in jail? Who's raising them while you're out there running around, running amok on the street? Mm -hmm. Somebody else is raising them because you're incapable of it. You're making decisions other than them. Right. But we tell ourselves we love our kids because it allows us to go to sleep at night. But let me tell you the definition. The true definition of love is sacrifice. So everybody who just raised their hand, when was the last time you sacrificed for them? And if you've been in and out of jail and you've been choosing drugs, that's what you've been choosing over your kids. You can't have it both ways. They're either the most important thing in your life or drugs are. And as long as you're doing drugs, drugs is the most important thing. And your kids are on the back burner. That ain't love. Right. End of conversation. And if you want to argue with me, you can. You're wrong. It's easy. It's easy to say we love them. Well, it, it is, and it, it's 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 nobody's taking from anybody that the fact that it's tough to be away from you. But the truth is, what what I say to everybody when they come here and they say, "Well, what about my kids?" I'm like, "Well, what about your kids? Like, right. you've you've been high in front of them. You've been not coming home for weeks at a time. You've been getting in trouble. You've been overdosing. Like, you haven't given a shit about your kids for years. That was me. Like, I I chose everything else over that. So I I had to face the truth, and that's that's like a really tough one for everybody that. But it's, but it's also, let me point this out, it's the easiest way to manipulate is using them. It's the easiest way to say I love them, so I have to go. I have to do it my way. So many people I've seen in the past 15 yeah. year, 13 years say, well, I got to get back to my kids. And I'm like, bullshit. You got to get back to doing what you want to do. It has nothing to do with your kids. Don't give me that. Absolutely. Kevin, you, I don't know. God somehow put you on the East Coast and me on the West Coast because that's exactly right. Exactly. And it's amazing. Sometimes when I'm doing an interview in jail, they'll tell me I'm crazy. And maybe I am. That's a completely different conversation. But I'll ask them, do you bring your kids to jail to visit you? And they'll tell me, yes. You subject your kids to jail. You bring your, you have somebody bring them to jail. And then they go to school on Monday and they tell their friends how cool their daddy is. Fast forward the tape 10 years. Where do they end up? Jail. I thought you loved them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or let's say you're not in jail, but you're out on the street smoking dope or slamming dope, and you're around your kids when you're high. I don't care what you think. Eventually, your kids catch on and realize you're doing it. You're teaching them that it's okay. When you're a drug addict, if you're getting high, they should automatically take your kids away from you and get you away from them because you're teaching them that it's okay. 
Right. And have, and have somebody else give them, but it's gotta be somebody that'll give them the tools that the, that my, my, my trouble, and this might be, might sound rough is like they, they go to a grandparent or somebody else connected that helped raise the one that led that ended up where they were, you know what yeah. I mean? And that's, and that's the tough part is, is breaking that cycle, dude. And, and my hope is that these guys, these guys stay long enough and, and unlearn and then relearn and practice for a long time and then be able to be that for their family. But that takes time again, you know? So, Listen, so yeah, got, talk about the family piece, dude. I, I got, I got news for everybody who has kids and that you, if you, if this offends you, tough shit. You will never be a good father, a good son, or a good brother, or a good sibling, or a good husband, ever. You will never be good at any of that until you become a good man. And good men don't do drugs, and good men do not commit crimes. End of conversation. Right. Take it or leave it. You will not be good at any of those things. However, once you become a good human being and a good man, you get all that other stuff for free. If you're a good person, you'll be a good son, a good sibling, a good father. You get that for free, but you've got to become a good person. And you can't come to a program like yours or mine and go, I got to do this for my kids. You'll fail every time and you'll split because you're going to use the kids as the pawn. And nine times out of 10, you're just using the kids to get to baby's mama because that's who you're really interested in. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's who's bringing the kids to jail anyway. And then at the end of the conversation, Guess what you're doing at the end of the conversation? You're telling baby's mama to put some money on your books. The yeah. very money that you'd be going towards those kids. But you just got done saying you love them. So anyway, you have that piece. The other piece is the families. We are grown adults. We are grown men. And we, we haven't cut the umbilical cord at 30 or 35 or 40 years old. Because we need our parents. We need our families because they've been there. and We've been able to use them as a safety net for decades. There's a difference between needing your family and wanting your family. My mom and dad live in California. My parents have been married for 57 years. I love them. For decades, I used them. I needed them for what they could give to me. I don't need them anymore. I want them. Mm -hmm. There's a huge difference. And I've never had to apologize to them for the things I put them through once I left Delancey Street because changed behavior is the best apology you can give anybody, anybody. But drug addicts get stuck in that mode of family, family, family. My God, let's take a look at what you've done to your family. Quit saying you love them. Stop using that word. You don't even know the definition. If you love them, they wouldn't be the ones you're calling every time you're in trouble. You'd stop stealing from them. You'd stop breaking their hearts. If that's how you treat people you love, how in the hell would you treat them if you hated them? That's it. Period. That's it, man. That's it. And, it, and it's... A lot of times it's really tough. I mean, I, I have a lot of families that are, are like always scratching back, trying to scratch back into to the process. Talk about like why they have to be out of the process. Some of them insist that they know what to do. Like, they're, like they're, there's some of them that just like, well, I, I think it should be this way and I don't necessarily agree. And I think this and, and you know what I say. And I think I, I don't care what you think. Like you're the one that was part of the failure. Like how, right. how am I going to look at your resume and say, let me figure, let me, let me know what you think about this to see if I'm doing it right. Like right. there's, there's no way like, and it's not to hurt anybody, but the truth is that, that it's life or death at this point. You know, it's, it's everybody, most of the people in here have overdosed, right? So if we keep the same chemistry, uh, the same people that have, uh, that have, have been there for them to grab a hold of for easy, for numb, for, for the lighter and, and quicker path to get what they want quicker, man, that's just a, that's just a, like an appetite for destruction. That's, that's the cocktail, that cocktail of family 
is what created this. So I'm yeah. like, I don't care what you have to say. I've said, I've you know, said to my parents, I don't care what you it, think. It, it wasn't until I was in jail fighting that 22 year prison sentence when my mom and dad stopped taking my call. When my parents stopped, they, other, for the first four prison terms, I dragged them all over the state of California from prison to prison to prison to prison to prison. When they stopped taking my call, I realized, oh shit, I just lost them. That was a turning point for me. I'm gonna go do the rest of my life in prison. My parents are gonna die. I'm never gonna see them again. As long as the drug addict knows they can continue to go home and knock on that door and go, excuse me, that couch, I'm gonna sleep there. Dad, give me the car keys. Mom, make me a sandwich. As long as they know they can continue to do that, they're yeah. gonna to continue to destroy the family dynamic. And as long as the families allow them to continue to do that, they're gonna to continue to kill their kids. But a lot of times what, and I know you see this, a lot of times when, when I was in early in this, I'd work with the families and the problem was is that mom or dad had their issues, right? And it spilled over like, well, I felt guilty when this happened when he was a kid. I'm like, guilty, that's your stuff. Guilt is your issue. That has nothing to do with him. You got to handle your own stuff. Don't put that on them because you felt bad about how he was treated by this or that growing up. Like, well, that's not his feeling. Like you can't fix it with your guilt. That's selfish. So it's right. like a lot of the times it's about how they feel yes. and, and they're actually using the, the person that's become an addict to they're make sick. them feel better. Oh, yeah, it's, they're, it's, they're it's sick. incredibly sick. The families are sick. And then what happens is you go someplace and you actually change. You then have to set new boundaries with your family like I had to do with mine. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's funny. Here's the other thing. Parents oftentimes think that, that addiction is a disease. If that were true, after 15 years of being sober, that means that tomorrow morning I could wake up, literally, Kevin, and then just, you know, the disease is going to suck me over to Flacco's house to pick up some dope because my <laughs> kicked in. If I decide to use today after being clean for 15 years, that's because something hurt my feelings. I got pissed off. I did not talk it through with somebody. And then someone goes, well, Jesus, Dave, why did you use again? And then they want to call that a trigger. It's no such thing. Triggers happen to everybody. Bad shit happens to good people every day. Drug addicts just use that as an excuse. That's and right. Then latch on to that. Right. Well, the, well disease, we know where the disease model came from. The disease model came from the medical association, right? Yes. So that they, so could, they, can a pill, that they can make a pill or something else so that they can latch on to alcoholics and addicts. And then people use that, that go to certain anonymous programs. They're like, well, they call it. No, no, no. no. Nobody ever in that book called it a disease. They, rec they talked it about being a spiritual disease, not, of a, not a disease like a lot of times the disease is, is discussed because it's, there's no accountability then. Well, it's, it's my disease. I, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, God, come on. God. What do you mean it's my disease? Like, my disease is talking. No, you got to own it, man. Like, the only way you're going to beat this is extremely own it. You know, it's, it's, yep. It's, yep. I'm, not, I'm not with that either, man. I, I, I don't, if there's, I don't if there's a disease that any of us suffer from, it's the disease of me. Yeah. If there's a disease we suffer from, it's just being so self-consumed and so self-centered that's the disease we suffer from. Well, the biggest addiction we have, dude, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this, but I'm with you on there. If we have any disease, it's an addiction to our way of thinking. Like everything has to be about how I feel. And if yep. you agree with me and I, I and my way of thinking, like we're all just addicted to that at times. So it's, it's tough. This has been intense, man. Keep Kevin, going. Kevin, one, one last thing. If, if the people who are listening and the drug addicts who are listening and your students there, if they truly, truly love their family, Leave them alone. Leave them alone. Give them a break. If you have put them through anything remotely close to what I put mine through, if it's true that you love them, leave them alone. 
Get your shit together, learn to stand on your own two feet, become financially stable, have a job, get your own place, then invite them over for dinner. For once, take care of them instead of asking them to take care of you. If you love the people you claim you love, leave them alone until you become a better person. Well, and that's the other thing, you know, so many times in the past I've seen programs, you know, I, I've been in and out of programs for, you know, years before I, I got, I got clean and sober 13 years ago and, and I changed years after, but before that I watched, everybody would go back to the same, like their parents, their parents mm -hmm. I, and any, I'll tell you, like most of the time, 99% of the time, uh, that camera keeps shutting off 99% of the time when you go back into the environment where you came from, it fails. Like you go back to the same toxicity, no matter how much work I'm able to do with the family, it's not enough unless the family is, is dealing with people like a, a, maybe a therapist or somebody that's going to hold them accountable because I necessarily don't, I mean, this is going to sound rough, but I'm not a big therapist guy because I don't think they push for the truth. I don't think they push for accountability and to say, and to look at a parent and be like, look, you're the sick one. I, I had a, I had two parents on the phone last week. The dad wanted to kill me from across the phone. He's like, how are you going to make this? How, how are you going to just decide how I am over the phone? I said, dude, I hear you two arguing. You're fighting over whose fault this is. I've been on the phone for five minutes and I have to stop you. Like, look, your 19 year old kid isn't the problem. You are. Like, you need the help, man, and he needs to get away from you. He's a grown man. And dad was like, screw this guy. Like, what do you know from across the phone? I'm like, I, I right. did it. I manipulated everybody, bro. Like, what do you mean? What? It's, it's, uh, it's really, 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 it's really tough, man, to, uh, to deal with the family. So the, the last part. So uh, in the end parts of your program, the last few months, you, you start to set guys up to leave. How, how many leave in the 24 months, Dave? How many, uh, how many start and don't complete? Uh, no, no, but how many, how many get to 24 months and realize that they need more or, or, or that uh, are successful? 63% of our students, two-thirds, are asking to stay a third year. That is amazing. You know, you, you, wow. we all drug addicts usually on day 30, 60, or day 90 are ready to run that back out to the very thing that chased them in. 62% of our students are saying, I need longer, I need longer. That's whole person change. When you realize you need to continually make the investment, not only to become a better person yourself, but to give back to the newer people, because the longer you're here, the more responsibilities you have and the more people you have underneath you. And that's the balm for our wounds. Drug addicts thinks getting clean and sober solves the problem. Getting clean and sober doesn't solve anything. I can put you in jail, get you clean and sober. But when you learn to make your life about other people, you'll stay clean and sober. You get that for free. Do you understand what I'm saying? So about yeah, two yeah, the mission, you know, a lot of the guys here, and, and I got to give the guys here credit. You, you remember that time, Dave, when I'm like, look, I know there's guys that are going to leave when I, I had the meeting, the transition uh, exactly from sick recovery works to, to uh, soul constructors. And like the guys that are here now, man, there's a, a handful of them that were like, we're in, we want to, we want to be a, a part of this going forward. And it was like, it's still awesome. We just, we had a meeting last week, like, okay, we want to be a part of moving forward. And I know for me, you know, I was, I was six, seven years clean and sober, helping people, building uh, apartments in my basement to, to house people in, from, uh, from meetings and homeless people and people that were struggling. But the truth was, I just started, I started to have a love affair with money again, you know, and I started to get angry again and I wasn't helping as many people as I should. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm in a fight where I think I'm going back to jail right. and I'm like, dude, purpose is the only way for me. Like I had to make a quick adjustment. Like. I can't be this person. Like I need to be in 
purpose. Like that's just what is part of my makeup. I am a different person when I am spending my life trying to help another. And, and I just think it's, it's the greatest fulfillment and joy I've, I've ever had. You know, yes. it's, it's just a different feeling. Yep. It's, it's, a, it's the new high and it's free and there's no come down. There's no greater feeling in the world than being a part of somebody else's change process. We can't do it. You can't. I can't. We play a part. We've been given the opportunity to help influence, help coach, help mentor, and we can do it. And it's like pushing sand uphill. You get a couple grains over the top. It makes it all worth it. But there's no greater high that I've ever experienced in all of my years of using as in helping somebody save their lives. Nothing compares to it. And I'll tell you, man, you're the best at it. I, uh, I think you're absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm like so, so pumped to know you, dude. And you've, you've just been such a huge help for me that when I'm really like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck here with something like, is my, is my instinct of, you know, sometimes I feel like I push a little too hard and you're always like, no, 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 dude, keep going, keep going. You're, you're on it, but you need to do this. You've added so many great things to this program. And and Jeff and I were just talking yesterday about, look, it's time for me to get on a call. I, I was supposed, before COVID hit, man, I was scheduled to come out to hang out with you for a couple of days. Yep. And, um, you know, we're, we're at that point where we're, we're ready to take another step to add some more things that you guys do. Uh, okay. and, and we're ready to do that. I just, man, I just want to thank you so, so much for taking your time to come on here. Cause these guys are smiling ear to ear. It's almost like they're smiling because it's like, they, they've heard this before <laughs> and, and it's, it's just, uh, it's really cool to find somebody as whacked out, crazy, intense and aggressive against beating this thing. I love, alone. I love, I know. I love that you, you, you kept saying truth is love. I've been saying that Jeff, I've been saying that for so long and like people don't get it. They want to soften the truth. They want to soften everything and they think that their way works and, and it's been proven time and time again that that's softer, let me show you how, it's okay, let's get through, no, no, no. You poor drug stuff. addict, it's everybody else's fault. Mm -hmm. let, me, let, me just, let me just finish with this. Ultimately, it's a decision, yeah. period. We decide whether we do or whether we don't. Everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. You're either ready or you're not. And if you are, you just need a place like yours to, to practice that for a couple of years. But what your guys are doing, what you're doing, Kevin, it's an investment. It is not something they have. It's an investment. Yeah. And if they, want, if they want to cash that investment in, if all of the people, all your students, in order for that investment to have any kind of worth, they've got to reinvest it in other people to get the dividends. They've got to reinvest in other people. If they're just there for themselves, not helping anybody else, they're not going to get it. Well, they're, they're going to go right back to selfish, right? They're going to go right back to selfish. It's easy to fall right back into me. Yeah. It's for you, but about him. It's for you, but about him. It is not about you. It's for you. Make it about him. I love you, man. Love you too. All right, brother. I'm going to talk to you soon, okay? Everybody say bye to Dave. Give, give a big hand for Dave. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon, all right, Dave? Thanks okay, for coming guys. on. All right, all right man. Kevin. Thank you, buddy. Later. <clears throat> wow. You guys are like, uh, you guys are like pretty... What are you thinking? I need to hear some feedback from somebody, like some, anybody. I can see that you, you follow that model. <laughs> well, the crazy part is that Jeff will tell you, like nobody would believe this unless you were here. Like I had this whole thing. This, this, is, this is another 
this is another like crazy part to tell you like my belief in God. Jeff will tell you flat out, this was written. This was, we were, we were 65, 70% there of what they were doing. Um, and, and what, I, what we wanted to do. And then I remember finding that I was on the way to the Autobahn, you know, that, that, that Redner's down there. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. I, I remember watching it. Do you remember when I got to the place and, and I just told you, yeah, Bo was there. I was in tears. I was literally in tears watching it. Like, oh my gosh, like I found what we're trying to do, but they do it way better. They have all the experience. And then I got on the phone with him and it was like, he was family. He talked, he spoke my language, right? He, he like just, he was so intense. Like I am, he, he didn't mix words. He, he, like if, if I ask him for advice, he's like, do this, do this. Like exactly what I need. No, no sugar coating, but, but it was crazy. Wasn't it Jeff? Like we were, we were looking for, for answers to the problems we had of, of trying to teach these guys and how we can do it. And, and the other part of how to do it for free, because I was tired of dealing with the money part, because the truth is most people had no money, but a lot of people would come to the program and then not pay us. And then I'd have people here that weren't paying that, that we've already scholarship people, right, Jeff. And then, and then it was just this, it was a problem, you know, and, and, and the people that did pay got us through that whole time. And it, man, I'm, Whew, like Jeff, you, you remember that time. If you want to go ahead and go ahead and speak about it. It was crazy. The time when you were paying with sick recovery works. Yeah. Yeah. The time we were paying with sick recovery works. All that did was create the entitlement attitude mm-hmm. that, that got him here. Yeah. It, it just created the cycle all over again in the program. Mm-hmm. It took people steps backwards. Yeah. If they had changed it all, it took them right back to where they were when they came in. Well, so, and you, and you reminded me like <clears throat> it was me, you, and our friend Chris Kantner, we were tra- trying to rewrite the program and rewrite, like moving from what we did to drastically changing. And we're, we're paying guys to go on a job, right? Guys are getting a paycheck to go work. And then when I'm saying to them, hey, what are you doing with that paycheck? Oh, well, I'm going to buy this and go on a base. And, and the parents are paying for the program or or sick recovery is paying for their food, their program, their living they're going to motorcycle races and I'm like, well, don't you want to contribute to that? And when that happened, people left when I was like, yo, you gotta, you gotta grow up and like, and pay, pay your own way. You're not going to go to work and get all your living paid. And that's when Chris Cantner's like, dude, you got an opening to come live here. Yeah. I'll come, I'll come live here. If, if you're going to pay all my bills and then we're going to get to go do fun stuff. And I just pocket all the money that, that, was I, that I made. That really opened my it did. eyes. It did. That statement was, uh, yeah. It hit it. It hit me right across the across the face. Yeah. Like he's right. Yeah, one hundred percent. He was right. Chris is having struggles. Mm-hmm. You know, and he said, "Well, why don't I come? Yeah. come live here." Because <laughs> he had just lost his job. He said, "Oh, yeah. this seems like the perfect place to come." Yeah, it solves all my problems. Right, and I get the I get the. So what were we teaching? Account. What were we teaching? Oh, I, I was I, I screwed up. I I one hundred percent screwed up with Sick Recovery Works, and and it and it and, and guys, the truth is, guys left here with it with thousands of dollars in with the bank, bank account, account and stiffed us. Yeah. Like and, it was and that was, it was more of a reason crazy. to leave. Yeah, we gave them one. When your options aren't exhausted, we just created mm-hmm. an option for them to leave and not change. Right. But, but at the same time, at the same time, 
I got to chill out. I'm probably really loud on the thing. You know <laughs> what I mean? Don't get loud. Um, <laughs> at the same time, you know, we, uh, we had a group of guys, you know, obviously you, Connor, Jake, uh, Pat, Pat, were you here for that? Yeah. Pat and Bo in that transition that it wasn't an easy decision. Was it like, it was not an easy decision to hear, you know, I remember being in that bill in that, in the garage over there and be like, look, this is transitioning into this type of program. And <laughs> what were you going to say, Pat? <laughs> Yeah, they were like, no. Go ahead and grab a mic. And re- like, if you want to talk about it, like, I'm not sure either what he said. Yeah, <clears throat> it's don't, don't, don't pull, don't pull, don't pull it. He's got to, he's got to be able to move. You don't have to talk about it, but like, we, re- you remember when we transitioned, it was a tough decision, right? Well, at first it was a tough decision. Just blah, blah, sorry. <laughs> at first, you Quit making fun of my action. Uh, at first, it was a tough decision because you know it's been a long time since I've been, you know clean and sober and actually making money. And I didn't really think about the other factors. Like my mom and dad were floating the bill for me to be here. Mm -hmm. And at first it was that, like what Jeff said, it was that entitled, you know, dickheadish thing come through. And it's just like, wait a minute, why am I even reacting that way when I'm not paying? Yeah. I'm not paying for squat and I'm getting this money and I can, you know, my bank accounts building up and everything else. And then finally it's like, Yep. That's just go just back to shows how screwed up your thinking is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, how screwed up it you really was, are. It was straight Dude, the, the, the truth was that people left because they wanted to keep the money. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, people left because they wanted to do what they wanted to do and manipulate the well, program. I think they think you had no right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We we got into it. With it. It happened with those people. And and I'm don't get me wrong, I, I still love those people and I still talk to those people, but you know, it, I look at it as my mistake. But but just having Dave to to lean on and and a guy like that that's that's done it and seen it and dealt. I mean, he's got a hundred people in the one play in Utah, and then they they have the one that's in um uh, that's in Colorado now, man. And it's it's amazing. Does anybody have any any questions? Any any anything you want to talk about? Or are you okay, Phil? Are you all right? How many cheeseburgers did you eat tonight? Well, tell the truth. Bro. Four. Oh, now it's five, Devin. Okay. I really appreciate him coming on this show. Yeah. And and finally hearing him talk, uh, I mean, you have told me he's intense, but it was awesome to see. <laughs> and, and he's passionate, and the program that he has there, um, it's working. And I see it working here, things that we have implemented. And there's things I needed to hear. Because, oh, yeah. Because I'm on, I'm on two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's coming up soon. Um, the time – Joe, can you stop playing with that mic? Thank you. Holy moly, dude. Yeah. The, the time for me, like he said, it, it, it should. Oh, do you hear that? Do you hear that? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm the, sorry. The, the time is no longer a factor for me. It's about who I serve and what I do for others. That's it. That's true fulfillment. But I, ha- I didn't get that. I didn't get that in a year and six months. That's something that's just starting to, to develop. Does everybody hear that? Like, you're, like, and, and I, I believe you're correct. Like, it's, it's just starting to develop. Yeah, and he said, you just, in those two years, you're just finding out where you were. Mm-hmm. Now you're inventing, reinventing yourself. Yeah. Which I, I see what he was saying, and I needed to hear that. Because yeah. I knew his story that he had stayed six years, yeah. uh, I think. Eight. 
Eight years. Eight. Yeah, eight years. Okay. That's what Jimmy. Jimmy came to me last week. He said, I'm, "I'd like to be eight years." <laughs> I I was amazed when he came to me, Jimmy, and said, "I'm really on the eight year program." I I thought it was cool, buddy. I I'm glad you're like. <laughs> I'll just play it. Um, but, you know, I, I, uh, I have heard a lot of people, um, you know, just – well, there's, let me get to some questions. I, I, I've heard a lot of people focus on doing time, and I've never seen it work, man. It, I've it, never seen people be able to do – like, when they're focused on the amount of time, they're not focused on change. And, and the real work is from, from that year and a half – on and it's it's uh it's tough and but but it's just like we when talk you get about outside today. of yourself yeah finally yeah finally stop thinking about what you want and your belief of what success is right because it's so askew it's so it's it's so your belief of success is money cars women and and, and that's not what defines you and that's not what is fulfilling because also all those things are temporary all those things can be taken away from you amen anybody have any questions like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these, these, uh, these questions here. Let's see what anybody has to say. Take six months to get your head out of your butt, then six more to get out of your own way. Mark Hubble. Doc, what's up, man? Doc Hubble. Yeah, we're with you, dude. Um, gosh, there's so many questions on here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So awesome. Bye, Dave. Yeah, God bless you all. Awesome. Lisa, Lisa Testa. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, I thought he spoke the, the spoke the real truth, and I loved every moment of this. And I'm pretty sure he got to all of us by speaking. Amen, man. Yeah, he, Dave is he is awesome. <clears throat> so, so anybody have any questions before we get out of here? Can we play a song, or are you good? You guys are you guys are tired? We had we had a long day today. I guess everybody. the question was, I would have liked the one question that I would have liked is to uh, describe a day. Yeah. Uh, uh, what what actual day entails? And how long the day lasts? Dave, and, and from what, what I understand do. from Dave, their day is a lot longer than ours. Yeah. So tomorrow we're going to adjust that. Or you guys are going to work till 11 tomorrow night. <laughs> it's reassuring to hear what they do. Get closer to the mic. I was just saying it was reassuring to hear from him. Mm -hmm. Especially just because that how you model his program. Yeah. How you model that program with us. It's reassuring yeah. for what we're doing. Oh, yeah. I, I, I discussed this last night. I'm going to discuss it right now. All of you need to go to Testa Motorsports. Let me explain the raffle that these, these two are doing. <clears throat> Rob and Jackie called me and they said, look, we want to help the program. You guys were out of work for a while. We want to donate something, but we're going to raffle off my motorcycle. If you go to Testa Motorsports and see the raffle that's going on there, it's for like a 2011 Harley. Is it a 2011, Jimmy? <clears throat> Come on, Jimmy. Thanks. It's a badass Harley, Okay. It's, it's got to be a 20-some thousand dollar Harley and a quad that you can win. There's two raffles, but it's 100 bucks. You got a chance to win either one for $100, a $20,000 motorcycle. It's full dresser, radio. It's an old man bike, but I would love it. I, I would absolutely die. I'm going to buy a ticket, and if I win, nobody's touching it. It's absolutely it's, – it's gorgeous. No, you can't touch it. But um, I hope everybody can, can get over to Testa Motorsports and, uh, and check this, this, uh, this raffle out because we need to sell 250 tickets for it to work and uh, get over there and, 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 and buy some tickets. It's been an awesome, awesome, awesome night. David Barnett, when are we coming south? You know, after this whole thing, we are going to take a road trip south. 
we I I promised uh, you know, Leon that I'd be down there as soon as this thing was over when he passed before he passed away. So we're gonna get down there and we will we will see y'all. Uh, Danielle George, you have to go on the Facebook page on Testa Motorsports Testa Motorsports Facebook page and you just scroll up. You'll see the bike. Uh, Jackie, if you want to repost it, so it's up at the top, and you want to pin it to the top, everybody can see it there. But um, I hope everybody that watched this tonight learned something. Um, you know, the work's all within, and it's all in your behaviors, and it and it's all it's all your mindset. We gotta we gotta deal with the mind and the behaviors. It's not so much about those feelings because our feelings just aren't facts. Okay. We, we got to, we got, he said it like it's, it's the magic happens when you're at work and, and that organic attitude comes out. And if, if you're lazy and entitled and you're struggling to be consistent and disciplined, like we're it's seeing, all exposed, it's all exposed there. And it, it, I've never seen anything like it in what we're doing. I can only imagine how good it's done out there at, at Dave's, the other side Academy. Um, man, again, we all want to thank Dave. Let's give Dave a big round of applause. Thank you all. Thanks, Dave, for uh, for coming on here and watching this whole thing. What day am I back on here? I'm back on here on Wednesday. On Wednesday with uh, I don't even know who, but uh, Drew Hicks, I think. We're gonna talk to him about pain to purpose, his past, troubled past, and uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed tonight, and I hope you all did as much as I did. We got we got we got to like really pay attention to what uh, what's going on with us and, and, and beat this thing. All right. I love y'all. Peace.